You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. Okay, we're going to talk about church. I know that how many of you have been here for the last few weeks and, and you've, you're kind of caught up on where Mill Sunday School is at? Okay, so some of you. All right, um, so of course, ecclesiology is the study of the church, and um, I, I'm really excited about this topic, and it is, that's the reason that I asked Joe, um, hey, can I talk about this? I'd love to, to jump in and just offer some thoughts and some ideas, um, because I think that church is one of those topics, it's one of those hot topics. Um, I don't know anybody that doesn't have an opinion about the church. If you ask somebody, what do you think about church, you're most likely going to get some sort of heated response. It could be, oh, I love church, and they go off on what it is that they love about church, the church that they go to, um, or oftentimes they'll turn around and they'll give you an earful on why they hate the church and what's wrong with the church, even if they go to church. <laughs> uh, a lot of times it's people in church that don't like church, um, and then there's a lot of people who aren't in church who have very strong opinions about church. There's non-Christians who have strong opinions about church. And, um, and so it's, it's, a, it's a hot topic. Um, I also think that it's a topic that, um, that in many ways there's a lot of confusion about it. Um, I think that it's really valuable that, that here in Mill Sunday School we've been talking about what church is about, what's the purpose of the church, what's church history, um, why, why do we do church, that kind of thing. And so I'd like to I'm going to, some of the, a couple of the things that we're going to talk about here today um, will probably be just a little bit of review, but uh, especially for those of you who haven't been here for the last few weeks, this will be helpful. Um, but where I really want to end up today is I want to talk um, about some of the reasons that, and the thoughts that people do have about church. If you were to say, well, what do you think about church, or why do you go to church, or why don't you go to church, um, some of the reasons, or maybe some of the big reasons that a lot of people might give. And, um, and talk a little bit about that. Um, you know, people's reasons for disliking church, um, there's a lot of people, of course, that we know that, that don't like church. Um, they have a lot of reasons, and a lot of those reasons have to do with people being hypocritical, saying, well, there's so many hypocrites in the church, um, or all the church wants is money. They just want my money. And... Um, and so they, and they base those opinions maybe off of uh, their experience in their own church, or they base that off of what they see on TV, um, saying, well, I guess if it's, on, if it's like that on TV, that's how all churches are, or that's how all pastors are. Um, uh, some people don't go to church or can't find a church or don't like church because they just moved to a new town um, or to, to a new place. Uh, some of you maybe have just moved here to Colorado Springs, or you're fairly new here, and you are trying to find a church that looks like your old church. Um, the church that you went to in Iowa or Nebraska or Florida or Texas or California or wherever, and you, for um, many reasons that hopefully we'll actually touch on here today, um, many reasons that you liked your church back from back where, where where you came from, and so you're kind of trying to find the you, the, the 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 parallel, the sister church, the the church that feels the same, has the same dynamics, and so. You say, well, I just can't, I don't, I don't like, I can't find anything like my last church. Um, or maybe you just say, well, it's ir- irrelevant. It just doesn't seem to have a whole lot that applies. Um, I, you know, this, the, we live in a fast-moving world, and, you know, our culture's doing this and, and dealing with this, and church is, like, totally, like, on another planet. And, um, and so you say, well, it just doesn't, doesn't mean anything. 
Um, some people say, well, I just was, you know, went and used to be it was important for my family, but that was my family's deal. That was my family's tradition, but that's not necessarily my tradition. And certainly in this particular age group, college students, 20-somethings, you're making decisions about what does my faith look like for me? What, is, what does church look like? I grew up going to church with my family. Many of you, how many of you in here grew up going to church? Okay, you grew up basically in a Christian home. And how many of you are fairly new to church? Okay, all right, so half the room raises their hands. Nobody raises their hands for the other one. That's awesome. Um, <laughs> but some of you maybe are new to church. You're trying to figure out what it is. Some of you grown up and then you're just deciding, okay, is this just for me? Was this just something that my parents did and I just did it with my parents? Now, what does it mean for me? Some of you maybe or some people get hurt in church. They ha- have some, some sort of hurtful experience um, with, within relationships. Maybe they were rejected or hurt or abused. Certainly, we see it in the news. There's very significant abuse that's happened in churches. Um, we see that within the Catholic Church. Catholic Church is dealing with um, priests abusing uh, people within the church. So there's um, hurtful things like that. They might say that some, some people might grow up, grow up or experience a legalistic church um, where they feel like all the church is about is following some sort of rules. And um, I talked to somebody just a couple of weeks ago that said when they were growing up, they went to a fundamentalist church, and, and in that fundamentalist church, they one time wore a hat into church, and, and, and one of the pastors, or the pastor, came up to them and said, you better take that hat off. Um, if you don't take that hat off, then you're going to go to hell. And um, so obviously that might be, just might, um, actually is legalistic, and I would say on the extreme of being, um, uh, uh, being, being about law or being about um, the rules more than being about the bigger picture and understanding how rules fit into the bigger picture. I, I, sometimes we might say, well, if um, we, we, wanted, we don't want to be legalistic, so we ditch all the rules. There is a place for rules, but it's, a, it's, a, it's an understanding of the bigger context first. Um, so, and the list can go on and on and on, and I could just keep iterating and reiterating um, different reasons why people might, what, what, what people's opinions might be about church. I don't feel welcome. I couldn't get help there. It's, it's, uh, um, it's, not, it's not warm and friendly. I don't like the music. And you go on and on. I don't like the preacher, you know, on and on and on. But I, I don't want to dismiss all of those reasons. There's, you know, certainly, especially the the ones where I talk about abuse or, or about being hurt and things like that. I'm not trying to dismiss those things, but what I really want us to do is to understand church not based upon our experiences and our opinions. I don't want to discount our experiences and our opinions, but we can't make decisions based upon our experiences and our opinions. And too often, especially in our culture, that's what we do. Well, how do I feel about this? Did I like this? How, what... What, 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 do I, what do I think about? What do I think about this? Does this work for me? And all of a sudden, we're just making all of these internal, what works for me kind of decisions. Um, those types of decisions are not the wisest and not, aren't always going to line up with what God has to say. This is going to sound a little harsh, but I don't really care about your opinion. <laughs> and I think we shouldn't care about our opinion. So I'm not trying to just be kind of the guy that stands up on a platform and says, your opinion is terrible. What I really want us to wrap our lives around, wrap, wrap ourselves around, is the fact that our opinions, all of us, not just me saying to you, but us to say to ourselves, my opinion doesn't really matter that much. Because 
the opinion that matters the most is God's opinion. So the question we should be asking is not how do I feel about this or what do I think about this, is, but the question we should be asking is what does God think about church? What does God have to say about church? And, and because we might find that though we've been hurt and though those are real feelings and though there might be some legitimacy to some of the opinions and the things that we would experience and that might uh, inform might give we might then need to think about pray about look and see what god has to say about that especially in context but but ultimately we need to say what is the opinion of god and this applies not just to church this applies to all of life and um, and you certainly have heard me say if you've been around the mill um, on for a while I, I i use this phrase and i use it intentionally and i use it a lot and that is that we would bend our lives around the truth of God's Word. And really what I'm saying there is that, is that we would not just take the idea of church and say, well, I'll do that if it works for me or if I feel good about it. But instead that we would say, okay, if God, whatever God has to say about church and the body of Christ, whatever He says about it, will determine and inform what I do with my life and how I think about church. And so... So we need to make sure that we're asking and, and living according to the right opinion. Not our own, but the opinion of God. So really what I want to start off with is what does God say about church? Now, we could answer just that question for the rest of the time here, but I'm just going to briefly talk about that. Um, first of all, we can even, I'll just start even in the Old Testament. The Old Testament does not talk about church specifically, but we do know, starting in the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, we do know that God cares very much about having a people. We know that God cares very, very much about having a group of people that He can call His. And, of course, in, He makes a covenant with Abraham. Those people are the children of Israel. Those are Abraham's offspring. And throughout the Old Testament, really what the Old Testament then is about is about God's interaction with His people uh, for thousands of years. And so he loves his people, he loves being with his people, he wants his people to live and love him wholeheartedly, um, and so, so we see that in the Old Testament. Now, we also know that in the Old Testament, that these people that he calls his, really blow it. They don't live wholeheartedly, we look through the first, first, first and second kings, chronicles, we look through the history of the kings, they talk about, um, you know, when the, the, the kingdom splits into Israel and Judah... Um, that those that we see different kings and a lot of the kings didn't love God. They, they, they brought in other idols. They served other gods. There was a few where God says, and this king served God wholeheartedly. And we see that. But a lot of times, uh, Israel didn't follow God, gave her heart, his people gave their heart to him a little bit as well as other gods. To the point that there's even a book in the Old Testament called Hosea. If you haven't read Hosea, uh, it, talks about, it's a, it's a, it talks about Hosea marrying a prostitute. Her name is Gomer. And his life, it's a fabulous name. You can tuck that in the back of your head for any of your, any of your future children. And, and so, <laughs> uh, but the, the point of Hosea is to be a symbol of God's love for his kids. He's basically saying, you've been prostitutes. You've prostituted yourself and given yourself away outside of my covenant, outside of my relationship with you. You've given yourself to other people, to other gods, 
It was supposed to be just you and me, but you've given yourself to other gods, and yet I love you. And yet I'm committed to you. And, and so God has this, has this people, but his people aren't necessarily loving him wholeheartedly throughout the Old Testament. Now you would, now this is what I always found interesting, is when, of course, the New Testament comes and Jesus starts, walks on the earth and, and the, the fulfillment of this covenant and the fulfillment of God rescuing his people through Jesus on the cross happens and it becomes this, you know, we, we see the, the veil is torn in the temple which means that now not a priest doesn't have to go for the people. Kind of the, I'm going to go uh, one individual for, the, for everyone. Uh, you know, kind of the, the individual goes for the corporate body. That no longer has to happen. Veil is torn in two. We, of course, individually now can interact with and have relationship with and develop intimacy with God on an individual basis. But because of that, you think, okay, well, God can do away with this church body thing that... This, this people thing that has so, in many ways, frustrated God and caused him to write, have, have people like Hosea marrying prostitutes named Gomer. And, and so, but God has a son die on the cross. And what does, God, what does Jesus do? What does God do? He establishes right away his people and calls them the church. So God, God's been about a people all along throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And the opportunity, maybe, opportunity, to do away with the church because the church is frustrating, he didn't do it. The opportunity that, well, new covenant, new way, we can connect on an individual basis, priest doesn't have to go for the people, but you know what, I'm going to still want them to be a people together. And I'm going to call them the church. And of course, not only it wasn't just Jewish heritage, But Paul then begins to bring that message to the Gentiles and to the whole world. The whole world now can be a part of the people of God. Jesus talks about it, Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. He says, I tell you, Peter, said, on this rock I will build my church. So Jesus talks about his church, his people. And then Paul, of course, majority of the New Testament written by Paul, and he's writing letters to local churches, some of them, uh, that he established, he planted, others that uh, kind of uh, uh, friends or, or, or apprentices have kind of established. He's now become, in some senses, a bishop or a overseer to many of these churches. So, uh, you know, on Friday nights we're, st- we're studying the book of Colossians. Epaphras, his friend, started and planted uh, the church at Colossae, but he's now writing um, a letter to... Uh, this church as an overseer, as kind of a father to many of these churches. And so, so we know that Paul cares deeply about the local church. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. Um, so we see that. Then we, of course, have in the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. And in the first few chapters of the book of Revelation, to the church at, and there's seven churches, to the church at Laodicea, to the church of Philadelphia, which is not in Pennsylvania, uh, the church at uh, Smyrna, and so on. There's seven different churches, and it is God make, communicating some things to His church. So, so God cares deeply about His church. God designed church. It was God, church was God's idea. I think that's a really big idea that we need to wrap our minds around. It's not that church was somehow some sort of man-made program that we just developed to kind of figure out, how do we gather everybody together that loves God? Let's, 
Let's call it church. That this instead was a God idea, a God design, and a God design and in the heart of God from the very beginning, not just post-resurrection. God's idea. And if we start from that place, then how we look at church is actually going to be very, very, very strongly shaped by, okay, this is, see, we see, because we, what we usually run into, any of the things that I listed as issues and difficulties, have a lot to do with the people involved, and very little to do with the big idea and whose original idea it was. Well, I don't like it because it was God's idea. I don't hear anybody saying that. I don't like it because that guy right there is involved. <laughs> I don't like it because that pastor this. I don't like it because that, that church this. I don't like it because, and we're talking about the mess that we make in it. <laughs> Not because it was God's idea, but if we recognize it was God's idea, and God, I, I think this is really important for us to know, God is smart enough to know <laughs> that we, people, humans, humanity, were part of his church, that, that, that it was not going to be perfect. I mean, God, God's not dumb enough to think, well, I, okay, this is my church. Jesus died on the cross. They were dumb in the Old Testament. Now they're going to be like amazing in the New Testament and they're not going to mess it up. I don't think God is looking at us and like, oh, man, I had this great plan 2,000 years ago, book of Acts, it was awesome. And now here we are, 2,000 years later. I mean, look at Colorado Springs. I mean, forget the, all the other thousands of churches around the country, let alone, let alone the world. I mean, if you look at this one, I mean, look at a disaster of a people. I mean, look, there's people hurting each other. I mean, just even if you look at this church or the churches that you've been a part of, any of us could talk about some of the bad experiences we've had or hurtful experiences. Even if we're able to work through those or whatever, we at least would be able... I, mean, God, I don't think God is, is think, looking down and thinking, oh, jeez. Totally blew it. Yeah, start over. Thinking it was supposed to be perfect. I don't think God thinks that. I, I, God knew what He was doing when He designed it. I want a people knowing that people are going to be involved in it, which means it's not going to be perfect. But it was God's idea. And if we can wrap our minds and our hearts around the fact that church was God's idea in the first place, then maybe it would help us to embrace, okay, if this is God's idea... I'm not going to go according to my opinion, but I'm going to go according to the opinion of God that this is a big deal. And so, so I think that's a huge starting point, God's idea. Let me talk now about a few of the kickbacks that I think that we, we might hear about church. Even if we say, okay, well, this is God's idea. I agree, I want to find a church, I want to be a part of a church. These are a few of the Bit, maybe maybe reasons that I hear on a bit on a, on a pretty broad scale uh, or regularly and I've heard over the years um, and the first one is you know if you were to ask the question well how come you're not part of church or what do you, you know what do you think about church and, and and this is one reason that I hear a lot well I just can't seem to find anything that I like and that kind of has to do with the well I used to be in this church or I used to go here several years ago I actually had somebody come to the mill on Friday night um, that had been a part of, of the mill for a few years and they had, had uh, I think, graduated from college somewhere here in Colorado Springs and moved away for a job and they'd come back to Colorado Springs to visit a year or two later. And he said, man, Aaron, it's so good to be back at the mill. He said, you know, the mill ruins you. 
excuse me? He said, yeah, the mill ruins you. He said, since I've left and I've gone to where, whatever city he was now living in, he said, I'm, I, I haven't been able to find a church. You know, because cause the mill, you know, like, awesome worship, you know, good speaker, and, uh, you know, love all the people, and free coffee, and bagels, and it's awesome. I, I, I mean, I live in such and such a town, and there is nothing like it at all. And I, I thought to myself, I totally failed. <laughs> My goal, and our goal, in no way would ever to be, okay, this is what church is supposed to look like. So when you graduate or you leave the mill or you move on to another city or whatever, um, look for something just like it. And if you don't find it, then you guess, I guess you just have to like live, live on the past. And like, that's it. That's, if that's how we think about church, is if, if it's based on what we like about it, and I'm not saying you can't like different things or different things aren't going to appeal to you, but, but I wonder if, if we've somehow embraced secondary issues as being reasons that we would embrace church at all. Because the more I talked with this guy and the more I've talked with other people, is that we, we, are, we want to embrace and we, we're looking for things that are not primary, but we're looking for things that are secondary. Music style, preaching style, um, lighting in a room, coffee, Right? Those are all secondary, if not third dairy, fourth dairy. <laughs> and and so, so we need to make sure that what we're understanding about church, actually that comment um, several years ago, I think in many ways fueled a passion for me to, to, to really want to help uh, plant the right seeds. And I think it's one of the reasons that I asked Dr. Joe to... To, to speak here is because I want to plant the right seeds so that we're looking for the right things in the future. I recognize that I have a few months, a couple of years, we have a, a, a short amount of time together. And so my desire is, and, and many of you, if not most of you, will move away from Colorado Springs, will be in another city, be in another state, maybe in another country at some point in your life. And you're going to be looking for a community. You're going to be looking for a church. And so I would love at this point, this phase in your life, to be able to drop in some seeds about some of the primary and the most important things to look for as you look for and, and search for a church. And I would hope, and I, my prayer is, is that, that we don't look for churches based on preferences, but that we look for and find a church based on primary things, ultimately understanding that it's God's idea. Second idea, well, how come you don't go to church? Well, I am the church. Excuse me? Well, you know, God's church made of people. I'm a person. I love God. God's church is people. So I am the church. And what they're saying is, that means that me, my dog, my coffee, my Bible, and God of the gods, we have ch- I have church like every day, Aaron. Like, Dude, you, you guys are like so into, you got to come to a building, you got to sit at tables, you got to listen to a speaker, and you got to, you know, like, dude, I don't need this. Me and God, God I am, the, I'm the church, dude. And, um, and there is some truth in that. God's, God's church is not a building. 
God's church is not a program. God's church is not an institution. God's church is, is not about uh, an organization. God's church is an organism. God's church is about individuals. God's church is about individual hearts. God's church is not growing based upon building size. God's church is much bigger and much different than, than, than these, these tangible objects. God's church is about people. It is about an inanimate, meaning we can't necessarily touch it and feel it kingdom. We don't always see, can't measure all the aspects of the kingdom of God. So, is there some truth in that? Yes. But, but the Bible says, this is in Hebrews chapter 10, it says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. It is the habit of some to neglect meeting together. <laughs> and so, it's really important that we meet together. It's really important that we don't just think, well, I'm the church, I got my Bible and my coffee and my dog and my hookah, and I'm just going to go off to the uh, to guard of the gods, and it's going to be me and God. <laughs> and uh, and so, 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 I don't know why I said that. And, uh, Actually, I do. Uh, there's a couple of words that I think are really important um, for us to understand. Let me, I didn't give my notes to the note guy, um, but, but I think that these are really big. One is ecclesia. I'm assuming that you guys probably talked about that. Um, and then the other one is koinonia. And so let me just give you a couple of definitions for ecclesia and koinonia. Both of these words are found in the Bible. They both refer to church um, and the gathering together of his people, um, and, and, and I think what we've got to understand is that God has called us to both. And oftentimes what people would say is, well, I am uh, I, I'm just interested in one of them. Just interested in being this, you know, kind of me and God kind of thing, or me and a couple of friends. We'll talk about that just here in a second. But um, ecclesia, in, from where, where I, where, when I read the scriptures, we study the word ecclesia, is this large gathering of people. It would be kind of like the, maybe a, a Sunday service of some sort, but it's the gathering together. Koinonia is the fellowship, and we see that like in Acts chapter 2, where it says, and they were committed to the fellowship. And, that's ta- and, it, and it talks about like eating, and you know, you're, we're not obviously going to come here on a Sunday morning and have a big meal together. Yes, we can have some food, but we're not sitting at one big, huge, massive table and having a meal together. Um, if you're going to do that, most likely it's going to be 5, 10, 15 people tops where you're going to have a meal together, share a meal, and, and sit around a table together and discuss and talk and pray with one another. And so that is koinonia. Ecclesia is the gathering together. We see that on a larger scale. And and, and what is important is that we're not just doing one or the other. See, to have koinonia without ecclesia, so to have the small fellowship of, of, of a couple of people around a table kind of thing, if we have um, koinonia without ecclesia, is to have close friends, which is wonderful, who share similar interests and allow the enjoyment and comforts of commonality. We want those things. Those are good. But to have that without ecclesia is to neglect the corporate gathering with corporate leadership with usually a lot of different people. We're going to talk about that here in just a second, but we need to recognize that the body of Christ is big and bigger than us, different than us. And the other side is, well, 
Usually what we're trying to do is avoid the things that we don't like. See, sometimes people would say, well, I love Ecclesia. I love coming to the big meetings. I love coming to the bigger gatherings and just kind of showing up and leaving. And I kind of maybe even be a little anonymous or come in and say, hey, and then, you know, I'll see you next week. And then neglect or avoid the koinony of the small fellowship of people getting to know you and you getting to know other people. And what we end up doing there is we engage in the, in the broader picture, but don't necessarily engage in the maybe mess of something being a little bit more personal. So, which leads then to the other, the other thing. Well, I am, I, you know, I, I'm, it's not, okay, so it's not just me, but, well, it's me and my five, six friends. We're the church. We meet together for a little Bible study every Sunday morning in, in, in Garden of the Gods outside, wherever, in my backyard. And so that's church. And yes, we are, those are aspects of church. Again, to go back to this idea, there is, I'm not discounting the fact that the church is people. The church is the gathering of even a few. It doesn't have to be a large, massive gathering. But there's something about house church, and, I, I, and when I say house church, please don't, please don't hear that I'm saying anything about size. Okay? I'm not advocating uh, large or mega or hundreds or thousands or any of that kind of thing. What I'm talking about is the perspective on, well, it's just me and my few friends. We're just going to meet in a house and that's it. And, so, and it doesn't have to do with size of building or even location. Church, real churches can meet in homes. But the, the perspective or the attitude is, well, me and my four friends are going to hang out and read the Bible together. What, there's a few things that I think are a problem there. The first one is that most often those five friends are friends. <laughs> and and the, there's nothing wrong with being friends, but what happens when somebody were to come to your little gathering, if you allow anybody else to come to your gathering, which is probably a problem, um, what happens with the guy or girl that comes to that gathering that isn't your friend and probably wouldn't be your friend? Because they're different or awkward or somehow just not part of your vibe. To me, that doesn't communicate and exemplify all that church is about. Oftentimes, being in koinonia and fellowship is wonderful, but then to be in places and be around those that we might have some difficulty with is part of church. And so, this five or six people, we're just going to be basically a little Christian clique is a problem. Second thing is, is what you oftentimes do is withdraw yourselves from the bigger wisdom and the rootedness of the church and say, well, I don't really like how that's done. I'm just going to do that. We're just going to do this our way, my way. And we disconnect ourselves from the wisdom of doing and leading and being a part of the body of Christ that really has been gained over the last couple of thousand years. And then the last part um, of this that I think is, a, is an issue is the fact that there oftentimes is a disregard for and a discounting of the role of pastor. If I get together with, uh, maybe I'm not a be- the best example because I am a pastor, but if four or five guys get together, or girls or co-ed, and you get together and you say, oh, they're just going to read the Bible together. And we read the Bible. Well, what does this mean to you? Which is oftentimes the first question that we ask when we read the Bible, which is the wrong first question to ask, by the way. But, but get together and nobody knows anything really about the Bible. Nobody's doing any studying. Nobody has any type of spiritual leadership or direction. And it's just four or five friends hanging out, kind of 
seeing what they feel about a particular passage of Scripture, that is a problem and oftentimes will lead to very dangerous places. And so to have a, a spiritual leader, a pastor, that is going to not just teach the Scriptures, but shepherd and give direction, spiritual direction, to people within that community, and whether that community is 10, 50, or 5,000, the size is not the, the issue. It's the fact of what are we doing here, and what are we connected to, and, and do we have some sort of leadership? Um, and so I don't, I don't want to take too much time. I just wanted to throw that out because I do think that there is um, kind of a, uh, a, a... I think that's a growing trend, is this, well, we're just going to hang out together because we just like this. This really works for me. I feel good about this, is really what we oftentimes are saying. I, I sometimes hear this, well, I love God, but I hate church. You ever seen the bumper stickers? I love God, but I hate his people. <laughs> you know, God save me from your followers, those kinds of bumper stickers. I, I'm convinced that if we read through the scriptures, if we love God, we are and must love and be a part of his family. That's like saying, well, you know, I, 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 um, I love being a stern, but I don't really love any of my family. You can't separate those things. Being a stern is being part of a family. Whether you're, you have a crazy dad or a crazy uncle or a crazy mom or, or sisters, brothers, maybe your whole family's crazy, whatever the fact is, you are part of that family. Your last name indicates that you are part of a family and you can't just say, well, I am this, but then disconnect yourself from the body. Jesus is the head of the church and you can't cut the head off from the body. If you love Jesus, what he's saying is, you love the church. You love the whole thing. Yeah, I'm convinced that you can't have a relationship with Jesus and not be, have a committed relationship to his and with his people. Paul, of course, in Ephesians chapter 5, talks about Christ and the church and compares that to husband and wife. And I think that there's two things that we cannot do on our own. We can't be married by ourselves, and we can't be a part of be a Christian by ourselves. There is, there is something in, uh, that, that comes along with that you are part of a community of faith. It's not just a, oh man, thank God, and now it's just me and Jesus and that's all. It's me and Jesus and all of us together loving Jesus. There's a, a, an element of community, of community of faith. And I think that we have too many, uh, if you haven't heard this word before, I love using it, um, friendlationships in the church. A friendlationship, just for anybody that's maybe fairly new to the, to the mill, a friendlationship is neither um, a, a friendship nor a committed relationship. It's a friendlationship. It's kind of right in between. And so what you do is you're like, well, I just kind of am, we'll, we'll use the boy, boyfriend-girlfriend, uh, not really, uh, but almost kind of, but not um, example, is that you're, you, 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 you like this girl, and so you like to hang around her, and you like to like pull some of the, emotional benefits from her and and get some emotional needs met maybe maybe even some physical needs met you know kind of a nicmo anybody know what nicmo is non-committal makeout and so you you know you and and so you've got i mean that's more on the extreme for sure but but um, you know friends with benefits kind of thing and so so that that's not okay <laughs> on a personal guy girl relationship but i also don't think that that's the way that we should be with the body of Christ, with the church? Is this somehow like, oh yeah, I kind of like her, her being the church, 
kind of like her, but I don't really want to commit to her. I mean, I'll get some benefits. I kind of like coming, some free coffee and a good time, and I feel good about myself, so I'll take that. But, you know, like actually like engaging, I, I don't think so. And so, and so all of a sudden we have a lot of people that are just kind of dating and friendlationshipping the church rather than committing to the body of Christ because they're a Christian, because we've given our lives to God, because we follow Jesus. And so, and so we hear people that say, well, I love God, but I don't love His church. But if we remember this is God's idea, that that means that if we love God, that we've got to love God's idea. Love what God designed. And then I want to spend probably the rest of the time on this, is that the reason that people would say, well, this is, how come you don't go to church or whatever, is, well, there's just way too many problems, too many imperfections. But let me just use just a little bit of Ephesians 5 where Paul talks about and compares Christ to his church and husbands to wives. He establishes and communicates that the relationship between a husband and a wife is a parallel or a a reflection of, is a better, better terminology, of the relationship between Jesus and his church. And, of course, we would be able... And one of the reasons he does that is because we can understand or we can see a marriage relationship. We can see a husband and a wife. And we can say, of course, a husband is supposed to be committed to his wife. He's not supposed to go cheat on her. Vice versa. She's not supposed to go cheat on him. They're committed one person, one man to one woman, one woman to one man. We understand that type of relationship. We can see that. And that is so that we can understand, have a better understanding of Christ and his church. I am not perfect. I have, I don't always treat my wife and haven't always treated my wife perfectly. My wife is not perfect. She's more perfect than I am, but she is not perfect. She has some imperfections. We both get, can get pushed to our limits. We both can um, be selfish. We would love to say, yeah, we always lay our lives down for each other. Yep, we always give our lives away to, to the other. Yes, we always put each other's needs first. Mine, totally on the back burner. They've been there for 15 years now since I've been married, but, and, and, and they've never even come to the forefront. I've never tried to get my way first. If, I, if, if, if you think that about yourself <laughs> or about anybody else's marriage, you're, that's, it's just not going to happen. You're always push, uh, fighting the... the, the, the the desire for selfishness, for self first. But just because there's imperfections, just because I find imperfections in myself or I find imperfections in my wife or vice versa, I don't say, well, dude, this, is, this marriage is totally flawed. I'm totally out of here. Same thing that goes with church. If we see flaws and imperfections and problems... I'm out of here. I can't believe that there's problems here. And sometimes you get into a marriage, you might find, whoa, there's more problems here than I expected. wonder if we don't experience that in church as well. Whoa, there's more problems here than I expected. I better get out of here. This, this was... Uh, God saying, no, you're in. If you walk down an aisle, you are in. <laughs> no matter what kind of imperfections you find as you get into this, there's a commitment that comes to this. But... 
we don't give up on marriage. We certainly know that we're not supposed to give up on marriage because of our imperfections. And we certainly shouldn't give, on the, give up on the church. And my suggestion, and I kind of hinted at this at the beginning, is if this was God's design and he knew that we, imperfect people, imperfect humanity, would be a part of it, my question for all of us is, maybe, do we think, would we be open to the possibility that the imperfections in all of us was actually part of the plan and the design of God in church? Now, I love the, um, the verse in John chapter 13 where it says, and they will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. And I think sometimes we think, well, man, those people don't love each other, so therefore I guess we've just, that's, what's wrong with them? But to get to a point where you truly love one another usually means that you find and see each other's imperfections. Same thing with, within a marriage. If you're going to truly love one another, chances are you are going to bump into the difficulties of each other. If you have, even, think about this for those of you who aren't married, which I know is most of you in here. Think about even close friendships. If, you're gonna, if those friendships are going to grow, you're going to get into a place where you realize, dude, you are annoying when you do this. Dude, you drive me nuts. And so are you going to say, dude, you are way too imperfect for me. You can't be my friend. I'm not going to be your friend. Peace out. If that friendship is going to grow, you work through it. You're committed to working through resolution. You're committed to saying, you know what? Let me tell you how you come across. Let me tell you about some of these things. And please, actually one of the better ways to do this, I think, is to welcome and invite someone in to say, hey, what are... I love this question. What is, what's it like being my friend? <laughs> Have somebody ask, answer that question for you. And tell them to be honest and be patient and don't argue with them if they tell you something. <laughs> they tell you something, no, I'm not! And, and they're like, well, you, you're kind of defensive. And you're, no, I'm not! <laughs> and so, so don't argue with them. Listen to them. But if we're going to grow in relationship, that means that oftentimes what's going to happen is you're going to bump into difficulties with one another and you're going to have to work through it in order to move on in the relationship. And then most likely you're going to bump into something else and you're going to move on in the relationship. Same thing happens within the church. Same thing happens in the body of Christ. And if we are truly going to love one another, what I think will, commun be commun will communicate to the world something profound is that just because a relationship is difficult, just because somebody is different than us, just because someone is annoying, we are still committed to them, that is totally counter-cultural. Karl Barth said, the church exists to set up in the world a new sign which is radically dissimilar to the world's own manner and which contradicts it in a way which is full of promise. Contradictory, the way of the church, the loving and laying your life down for one another, even if it doesn't make you happy, even if it's hard, is totally contradictory to the ways of the world. And so maybe the design of, Christ, uh, of God within his church was that imperfect people would actually be in it and that the working through and loving one another in spite of their imperfections, in spite of our brokenness, in spite of our pain, in spite of the hurt that we might inflict on one another, that because of that we still love each other. We still work through it. See, so that... When you encounter mess within church and community, koinonia or, and or ecclesia, the temptation is to run and find a better church. 
Now, I am not saying you can never leave a church and there aren't maybe some specific aspects of church that, that are worth saying, okay, I don't know that I can be a part of this. But I wonder if we shouldn't make our first, our first response to be, you know what, I'm going to stay and not run. I'm not going to stay as opposed to trying to leave. I'm going to stay and, and deal with this frustration and the conflict and recognize maybe that frustration and conflict is actually part of what the church is about because learning to love one another is actually part of God's way of developing us spiritually to become the church. To become the men and women of God that He's called us to be. To become who He's made us to be. That, that, when, that when Joe Kirkendall and I get into conflict and have a... I drive him nuts and he drives me nuts that we say, you know, I'm like, Dr. Joe, you, you're fired. <laughs> you're out of here. Or he says, man, forget you, I'm going to go somewhere else. That instead, working through that, actually, instead of me saying, okay, Joe, you, 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 and pointing the finger at him, instead, if we would just maybe even look at our own selves and say, what is this exposing in me that God wants to work out in me so that I can grow and mature? See, I think that we should stay long enough in community to get our feelings hurt. Stay long enough within the community of faith to get your feelings hurt. And then stay again. We have too many... I mean, we've heard, we've heard the term church hopper. We see all that. And it so often has to do with friend relationships and people getting their feelings hurt. Well, yeah, that frustrated me. Or, well, I kind of like this. The church hopping friend relationship thing is kind of like, well, I'm not going to commit to it because I like, I, you know, this... They go, to, they go to the, they have a worship church and then they have their teaching church and they have their friend church and, and really what they've said is I'm not going to commit to the church, I'm just going to kind of get my own needs met. Because, you know, it's about me. See, I wonder if we just stay in one place and commit to something that it actually isn't going to bring out some of the most important things that God wants to bring out and kill in us. For instance, our consumer mentality that says, well, I like it this way, and I like this way, and if I don't feel comfortable, I don't really like the seats, and I don't like the lighting, and it's too loud, and it's too this, and it's too that, and, you know, I don't really like the songs. I mean, they're kind of a, I like going to here because of this, and as if we're just looking for the best product, as if the church is Starbucks. Well, I like my triple tall, whole milk, no whip, one pump, milk, 160 degrees, please. And if it doesn't quite right, I'm just going to take it back and say, well, you, got, you did it wrong. We're going to take it back to God. God, you did this wrong. This isn't working for me. God saying, no, it is. It's working for me. It was my idea, and I did put you in there. And yeah, you know what? You're not getting your triple tall, whole milk, no whip, one pump, milk, 160 degrees. Why? Because you need to be able to determine and recognize that church is not about you. And that church is about me working myself in you and through you. Have you ever realized that there is nowhere in the Bible that talks about attending church? The Bible never talks about attending church. And I think our idea of attending church just reinforces this consumer mentality. And if we are in a place where our consumer mentality is pushed on, that's a wonderful, wonderful thing. We don't like it. It feels kind of rough sometimes, but it is so good for us. Or, or our 
it pushes on our prideful independence. The idea that we don't want to have to need anybody. The idea that we don't like really being a part of the body of Christ. Or our, control, our, our desire for control. When things don't go our way, when things aren't done the way that we want them to be done, the way that we think that they should be done, the way that we would do them if we were in their position, or something like that, that it pushes on our, okay, really what I'm asking for is control, and I don't like the mess that we've got going on here, so therefore, what I'm going to do is I'm going to have to either try and control it, or I'm going to leave, and so I'm going to, my leaving is actually my embracing and desire for control. What if, we stay, what if staying kills our consumer mentality or helps in cons- killing our consumer mentality, our prideful independence, and our desire for control? Those are three wonderful things to kill in all of us, isn't it? And I think that if we run instead of staying, those things stay fully alive. Because you start at the beginning of relationships again. Because it's in relationship that those things get killed. Can God bring those up with you individually? Absolutely. Absolutely. But whether or not, when, how we find out if those things have been killed in us is in relationship. We find out if those things have been killed in relationship. We can say, well, I'm, I'm, I'm not independent. But if we're not connected and submitted to somebody else, we will never know that. It is always easier to leave than it is to go deep. But the beauty and the richness and the, and the, the, the embracing of the God's idea in us is so great. It is worth every bit of difficulty. Going away is easy, but you know what is harder? Staying somewhere where your feelings have been hurt. Staying somewhere where you have to work through forgiveness. Staying somewhere where you have to actually submit yourself to somebody else, as it says in the Bible. It says not only to submit yourself to authorities, but to submit yourself to one another. We love to submit ourselves to one another when we like submitting ourselves to one another. We like submitting ourselves to one another when we find it easy to submit ourselves to one another. To me, I think that's not real submission. That's just being friends with people that you like. What about submitting yourself to somebody that you don't like? What about submitting yourself to, to, uh, to, to, to something or somebody that you don't agree with? I'm not talking about something that's illegal or, or, or not, not in line with the Bible. I'm just talking about something that you have some difficulty with. Now, the word submit, I think we have some... I, I'm not, I don't mean to get on this, so I'm just going to take a second... The word submit is not about somebody being domineering or somebody being tyrannical. Submitting is, and it says, as you submit yourselves to Christ, this is about giving yourself to each other and saying, you know what, I'm going to put my interests aside. I'm going to allow myself to God to do his... What about the scripture that says, talks about God being our defender? I think that God being our defender is part of us submitting ourselves to one another. Eugene Peterson, one of my favorite authors, says the church is composed of equal parts mystery and mess. wonder if maybe it's actually a paradoxical sign of hope where the brokenness and the messiness of our lives engaged with one another, Christ is the head, perfect in every way, is actually a communication to the world that this broken community, this faith-filled but messed up group of people trying to grow, trying to live, trying to submit, is actually a communication of God's perfection coming through imperfection. His, his wholeness coming through brokenness. His divinity emerging out of humanity. His dwelling among us so that the 
Colossians 1.27 talked about on Friday. That it is Christ in us. It's not Christ in a perfect body. It's, it's, it's the Spirit of God within the brokenness of humanity. The last thing, I know we're supposed to end here, but just give me two minutes. It's God's idea. And so we sometimes, and some of the pushback, that I, the, the different reasons that I've given have all been reasons that are so very personally and feelings-driven. But sometimes it's easy to say, well, I guess, okay, I'm just committed. It's God's idea. I'm just here. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about, of course, Christ and His church. And then it talks about husband and wife. And throughout the Scriptures, I'll read this, Revelation 19, 6 and 7, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like peals of thunder, shouting, Hallelujah, for our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give Him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. See, the church is God's bride. And we know, of course, you know, that present His bride spotless, and you're thinking it's not spotless by any means. I've been married to my wife, Jossie, for 15 years. And if somebody were to come and talk to me and start knocking and and talking bad about my wife, and maybe they had an experience, or maybe maybe Jossie was having a bad day, maybe she did get frustrated with them, maybe she did treat them poorly, but somebody comes over and like, man, your wife, and just starts going off. That's not going to be a good day for them. See, I think what we found maybe is that we say, okay, well, I'm going to stay in the church, but I'm going to be just this big critic. See, God not only designed the church, God loves His church. God loves His bride. And just like you wouldn't talk about your bride or your husband, you wouldn't talk about somebody else's spouse and just slam it, slam them. I think God is maybe calling us to the same thing. Sure, there's imperfections. Not saying for you to turn a blind eye and just engage and allow abuse or difficulties or things like that to happen. What I'm asking for you is to embrace my idea, my opinion, my design, and I'm also asking you to love her. I'm asking you to love the church. Seems like I think we've disappointed God and yet He stays passionately involved with us. We see that in thousands of years of history. God stays passionately involved with His people. And it seems like if God stays passionately involved in loving His people that we should try and do the same. See, if there's anybody that could abandon The church, it would be Jesus, and he hasn't done it, and he won't. And so if he hasn't and won't, then we shouldn't. I would also encourage us, because we love the church, not to be a critic from the outside. It's too easy. Anybody can be a critic from the outside. Anybody can be a critic from the inside and stay uninvolved. I would encourage all of us instead to work from within. Work from within. Be a part be a part of the body of Christ in being and allowing and, and, and the, the community of faith that you are involved in to become what God has designed. To be what God has called it to be. That means that we 
can't live according to our own selfish desires and our own opinions and our own feelings. If we do that, we miss it. If we do that, then we not only are missing, the, the, the church and the community of faith is not only missing out on what it could become with you involved, you are also missing out, we are missing out on what God could do in us. Does that make sense? God loves church. God loves His body. So should we. Okay? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we love You. We honor You. And uh, there's so many questions. We've just kind of scratched the surface, and we've even just scratched the surface this month here in Sunday schools. We've talked about, about Your church, about Your body. And um, there's so many rustlings, and we might say, wow, I love that. Yeah, I want to embrace it. And then uh, next week or next year or five years from now, we have a difficult experience with church. God, I just pray that as we wrestle through these things, as, we, as, as the beautiful idea of church interacts with the brokenness of humanity, it causes us to question and wonder and, and, and have so many different variables included. But God, I pray that at the end of the day, that we would be committed to your body because it was your idea and because you love the church and you haven't given up and abandoned your church. Thank God that you haven't and you won't. So help us to know what it is to live and be your body. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, amen. thanks for letting me uh, stay for, or go a couple minutes late today. Yeah, let's and, thank uh, Aaron, everybody. So. Awesome. Well, everybody, you're dismissed. We'll see you next week for our conclusion of Ecclesiology. Peace.